about 30 years ago, actually it was 29 years ago, I came to know the Lord. And I was attending a church about our size. It's about 700 people at this church that I was attending. And they had a baptismal service like we do. And they had a weekend designated to have it outdoors at a camp. And uh, like, our, like our baptismal services, the way they set it up is you give a testimony, you talk about what God has done in your life, and then you talk about what you hope God will do in the future. And I can remember standing there and saying how I really have a desire to learn His Word and possibly serve Him in some capacity. Well, after the service was over, everybody filed out, went home, and I'll never forget this guy came up, and his name was Larry Arnold. Now, I won't forget that name because he had two first names for his name, Larry Arnold. And Larry's a kind guy, shook my hand, had one of those, he was a hard-working man, and shook my hand really hard, looked me in the eye, and he said to me, whatever you need, whatever you need, let me know how I can help you. I want to, I really believe God has his hand in your life, and I want to do anything I can for you, so you let me know. In fact, would you like to come over to my house next week sometime, talk to my wife, we'll have you over for dinner, and just to get you know, to know you a little bit better, and sure enough, I went a week later to his house. His address was, if you're from Cleveland, his address was in Shaker Heights. If you know anything about Shaker Heights, it is nice. It's rich. And as I drove up, he was living on about 100 acres of land, wooded lands with a lake, a pool, horse trails, just immaculately groomed. It was beautiful. There was a log cabin in the front. And I'm not talking about a little log cabin. I'm talking about a big Probably anywhere from two to $400,000 log cabin. Nice. That's where he lived. So I walked up and every, you know, I mean, it was just beautiful. And I remember having dinner with him. And so the conversation led up to, I said, man, you're nice. Your place is nice. Wow, it's got to be expensive to live here. He goes, oh, I don't, I don't pay a dime. I said, what do you mean you don't pay a dime? And he had four kids and the kids were out riding while we're talking. They're on horses. He said, well, I met this guy. He's a multimillionaire. And he said he needed somebody to be a caretaker of his estate. And he had a caretaker's house, which was the log cabin. And he had his own residence. He said, I'll take you up there later. And he did. He took me up there later. And it was like a, I mean, it's like a castle. It's a castle. And I said, now you said you don't have to pay for any of this. He goes, no, all I got to do, my job is just to take care of the place. And everything else I can do with whatever I want. I can fish in his lake, can swim in his pool, can ride his horses. I said, man, does he ever show up? He goes, no, he's so busy. He's maybe here one or two weeks out of the year, but it's basically mine. And he still lives here in this day. And I can remember after meeting with him, I read this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Verse 26 says, For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. Remember thinking, that's exactly what's happening. And then another verse occurred to me. It's Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, where Jesus says this. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit 
the earth. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who are kind. For they shall inherit the earth. Larry inherited all of that. He didn't own it, but he inherited it. It was his. And today we're going to study the real life story of the man who actually saw this promise come true. His name is Noah. And we're doing the third part of the flood. He literally inherited the earth. So if you can, we're going to begin in the book of Genesis, starting at the end of chapter 7 and reading halfway through 8. And the title of this is New Beginnings, and I'm also titling it, See, I Told You So. And the reason I'm titling it that is because I can imagine, after preaching for a hundred years, that the earth is going to be flooded. I can hear people just saying, no way, Noah, no way, no. And I can imagine Noah, the first time the rain started falling, see, I told you so. I told you, I told you so, God's promises are true. Starting in 724, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heaven were closed the rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And just a side note, in, the, in our Bible it says the mountains are from Ararat. In um, the Muslim Bible it doesn't say that. And that's one area of contradiction we have with the Bible. I mean with the Quran. Verse 5, And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, in the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of the forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. And she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, 
every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. So that's where we're at in the flood story part three. And I'm going to make this argument today that I believe Noah is our example. He's a great example of what it means to be meek. Someone who's meek. Someone who, because they're meek, they inherit the whole earth. And I believe there are, very, there are two very practical lessons we're going to learn from his life. But before we start, defining meekness is hard to do because in our culture, we don't esteem it as a virtue anymore. In Jesus' time, he talked a lot about meekness and how important it was to be meek. But in our culture, we are competitors. We want to win. We want to be the best. We want to have the most thumbs up, the most likes, the most Instagram views, the most blog hits, the most, you know, just the best. We want to be the best. I, I, was, watching, I was watching a football game yesterday. It was a pretty important football game on yesterday. But I was watching this football game, and on this football game, by the way, Lauren, I loved your scarlet outfit today. And we were watching this game, and there's commercial on there. And if you, if you watch the game, there's this commercial. And this lady comes in, and she's buying her husband Christmas gifts. And there are two watches, and he gets to choose which color. And then he takes her out and says, you get to choose which one you want. And he, they're leaving this house that is unbelievable. Like, who lives in a house like that? Spotless. And then in their front driveway is this brand new truck, you know it's about 60 grand, and a brand new like caravanish red car that you know is about 60 grand. And he goes to his wife, which one do you want to choose? And she jumps into the truck and says, I love this truck. I love this truck. And I'm thinking, come on. Who, seriously, who is going to spend 120 grand on two cars that are going to depreciate in five minutes and going to be worth $10,000 after the commercial's over. It's ridiculous. But we deserve it. I deserve to have those trucks and house. I deserve to have everything. It's mine. That's the kind of world we live in. We really think we deserve it. Our politics, we call it the blood sport. It's a, it's a sport where we need to win. If we don't win, we're mad, like mad. And sports is our idol. We worship it. It's everything. It's everything. And so when we say, the meek shall inherit the earth, we're like, you mean, I've got to be a weak, wimpy, no good loser? But meekness is not weakness. Where a person just gives in and is passive and lets everything happen to them and every event's out of control. That's not meekness, nor is meekness a personality. Sometimes we think because the person's like piglet and timid and walks around and is kind to everybody and you can do whatever you want, here, take whatever you want. That's not meekness either. We think that's meekness. Just be nice. I once heard, you know what the number one value for a Christian man is? Just be a nice guy. That's not meekness. The best definition I could find for meekness is, and listen closely, it means the patient and hopeful endurance under undesirable circumstances. 
So when something bad happens my way, I'm patient and I wait. Another definition is the person who when things are hard, they're resilient and strong. But to outsiders, this quality of meekness seems like you're vulnerable or weak, but if you really know the person, they are truly strong. They are the ones who can, without complaint, without resistance, without retaliation, they can withstand. And that's hard to do because most people complain, retaliate, and resist. Meekness is when a strong person has been placed in the position of weakness where they must persevere, where lesser people usually would quit and give up. I was reading about this Greek word for meekness, and they said on the, when it comes to animals, we use the word tame. So a tame animal has the same idea. A tame animal has not lost their strength, but have learned to control their destructive instincts and live in harmony with their master. A tame animal, when you really tame them, they can finally use their strength for good. An untamed wild animal, you can't control them at all. So you could say, what is meekness? It's a person under control. It's a person who allows God to have a reign on them. In, is able to force them, not force them, but move them in the way he wants them to go. I was, I was thinking about it um, last week my dog met this puppy, this little puppy, this puppy that just nips at him and barks at him, you know, yips around him. My dog is a little bit older, a little wiser. My dog is meek, but this dog, this little puppy is irritating him a little bit and he started going, ah. we said, get that puppy away from him. I think you're making him mad, but that's meekness. You it's not that you're not strong, but you put up with things and you're okay. Question is, do you want to uh, inherit the earth? You need to be weak. No, you need to be meek. Noah was meek. While everyone around him displayed uncontrollable violence and rioting, he remained righteous. And because Noah was righteous, he literally inherited the earth. He inherited the earth. Could you imagine after you let the animals out, you set your foot on the land, you breathe in the air that doesn't have animal dung for probably, you'll see, 300 days, and then you open your eyes, you probably, Noah probably went like this, and everywhere he looked was his. That mountain is mine. That lake is mine. That tree is mine. It's mine. It's mine. That would have been incredible. Have you ever gone camping and um, you have terrible neighbors camping next to you at like a public camping place and your neighbors are either drinking all night and they're, you can hear them in their tent because the tent is usually really flimsy and they're laughing all night and you're like, oh, I just wish they'd leave. And then the next day they have to leave. They're done. They're off their site. And they're gone, and they, nobody's on the site for a few days. It's like, oh, this is great, especially when they leave their wood and you can take it. Oh, it's great. That's just an ounce of what it must have been like to be Noah. This land is mine. And the reason it was his is because he was meek. We're going to learn two things about meekness and ask yourself, are these true of me? 
honestly ask yourself, are these true of me? The first is this, the meek are patient. They're patient. 2 Peter 2.5 tells us that Noah preached righteousness. It says, God did not spare the ancient world, but he preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others. He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And so we don't know what Noah preached exactly, but we know it had to do with the flood is going to come and you'll probably die. I'm sure that's what his message was. He's warning people. So we can assume Noah preached about the need to repent and turn. If Noah did warn the world, the world obviously chose to ignore his warnings because everybody but his immediate family died in a flood because the Bible teaches that it was actually taken, the world was taken in surprise. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 37. The coming of the Son of Man, this means the second coming of Christ, will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. But Jesus said, during Noah's time, people were living it up, man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were, giving, they were going to wedding parties, probably crashing weddings. They were having a great time. And Noah's warning them. He's warning them. As in fact, he's a preacher of righteousness for a hundred years. And they didn't listen because Jesus says they did not understand until the flood came. So it is reasonable to assume, very reasonable to assume, that Noah was constantly ridiculed. He probably felt like he was the odd man out. Not included in the right groups and clubs. Everyone was having a great time. Everybody gets to have a great time. But poor old Noah, he was stuck preaching and building. His hair probably always smelled like sawdust. And all he smelled was black tar that he put on the bottom of the boat and animal dung. All these animals kept coming in his backyard. What, what's wrong with that Noah guy? What's wrong with that guy? You want him around? now? I got a wedding to go to. But in his meekness, he trusted that God's word was true. I love this verse when it comes to trusting his promises. Habakkuk 2.3, listen to it. Though it lingers, meaning when God makes you a promise, though it seems like it's taken a long time, that's what lingers mean. Though it lingers, wait for it, wait for it. It will certainly not delay. Let me ask you a question. Honestly, what promises... Are you waiting for that it doesn't seem like God has answered? I know some people have waited for a spouse or a boyfriend or something. It seems like God doesn't even care. I know some people who are in ill health. Stuck in a hospital for a while. Like, does God hear my prayers for healing? What promises seem like forever for you? For me, it's the return of Christ. Like I wonder, is he really coming back? I, there here, um, preaching is known as something that's incarnational. It means that I am supposed to, it's the making the word become flesh. So I, 
I'm supposed to not just share with you the truth of the word, but how it affects me. And sometimes God's promises don't, to me, seem like, man, is he really worth it? And I'm just trying to be honest with you because I know you feel this. And here's some things I have actually asked. As I wait for Christ to come back, because sometimes it seems like forever, have I really made the right choice becoming a preacher when all of my friends are millionaires? I've got one friend, my best friend from high school. He owns a $6 million house. They all went golfing, all these friends I had from high school. They all went golfing last month. They sent me this picture, and it's way in, you know, Arizona. They got all, I mean, they've got money. They have boats, they have houses, they travel around the world. And then I ask myself often in dark times, have I made the wrong choice coming to Kent City to tell people about a God no one can see? Will I really be rewarded for all those times I counseled people for free, met with the sick and dying at the hospital? You know psychologists get about 100 bucks an hour per appointment? Huh, getting ripped off. And then next month, we're going to ask people to give to a building project to enhance our ability to preach the gospel. Why would anybody want to give to a building when they could go buy a new boat or a new fishing pole? They could get two new trucks on their front drive and their wife could pick that one and say, that's mine, baby. You can do that right now with your money. And then when I'm like that in that darkness, I hear in my prayers, patience, my dear man, patience. Be like Noah. To inherit the world later, you need to give up parts of it now. The meek inherit the earth. The part of the flood story, I remember the first time I read the flood story in the Bible, it's just chapter 7 and the beginning of 8 kind of was depressing to me. It just, oh, poor Noah, he has to wait so long. Poor guy, he's in there a long time. Have you ever wondered how long he's in that ark? Look, look how long he's in that ark. So, so the first part of the story is when the water started prevailing on the earth. It says he entered the ark and it started to rain. And then the rains fell, and when it says the rains fell, it said the flood waters of the earth opened up and the heavens opened up. And it just was a giant deluge of water for 40 days. So 40 days and 40 nights. Remember reading that, oh, that's so long. 40 days and 40 nights. And then it says in chapter 8, verse 1, the winds were sent by God and the water started to abate. When the waters prevailed, that was 150 years, and the waters abated, that means when they started basically either being swallowed up by some cavern in the ocean, maybe the Pacific Reef, or do you know how that 70% of the, the Earth's fresh water is on the South Pole in icebergs? Kind of interesting. But uh, when the waters abated, the way it works in the Bible is came crashing on Mount Ararat, and then the first thing he sent out was a raven. And it said the raven went all around the Earth. It never came back. And the reason why, you know why ravens didn't come back? Because ravens eat dead things. Probably a lot of dead people and dead animals that that raven was eating. Other people say it's a spiritual lesson for the worldly man who loves and spends his time around the earth chasing death. 
And then the dove was sent. The dove was sent three times. Dove came back. Dove left and came back with an olive branch. And that's a sign of peace. It says if God is now, his wrath is expended, he's at peace with us. That's why often the Holy Spirit is portrayed as a dove or you'll see the emblem of a dove with an olive branch as a sign of peace. The third time he was sent out, he didn't come back. The idea is he probably found some low valley where doves like to eat you know, little berries or petals off of a tree. And then it says in 8.3, the water was completely gone from the face of the earth. But he was still not able to leave. He waited for God's, God's okay. So he had to wait 70 more days to let the earth dry out. And it says that's when Noah opened the ark. The idea is he opened the top. Could you imagine all that stink just going, oh, it's probably a good day. Oh, the air freshener. And then Noah left the ark. He let all the animals leave, and then Noah leaves the ark. And so in total, his waiting period on the ark was 370 days. It's about a year. But after a year, he got to step on that earth and it's all mine. He got to name the towns, the highways. It's all his. Do you think it was worth it waiting that year? Actually, in total, it was about 101 years he waited because he preached about 100 years. Waited a year on the, on the ark. 101 years he had to wait. Do you think it was worth it? He's 600 years old, so it was actually probably didn't seem like that long. No, it was probably pretty long. But I think his waiting was worth it. What would that day be like when you finally got to see it brand new? What will heaven, what will heaven be like when the only people up there are people that care about you? And you don't have to fight this thing called the flesh anymore. <laughs> and you'll walk out there and Jesus will say, it's all yours. You're my sister, you're my brother. You inherit all this. You inherit all this. You co-reign with me. That's what it says in Romans 8, 17. If we suffer with him, we reign with him. It means it's all ours. What will that day be like? Well, to get there, Noah had to wait a whole year. But he's meek, and he was okay with that. I was reading this book by... Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, it talks about meekness. And in it, he was saying, why be patient? The question is, why be patient? And listen to his reason for being patient. And let this filter through. This is amazing. Because a meek person has a right view of self and knows that all glory goes to God. Meekness is knowing yourself rightly. And you know that everything you have is not from you. And then he says, since that's true, all glory must go to God, I can wait on him to accomplish things in his time. Since he's getting glory, he knows what he's doing to get that glory so I can wait on it. If it was for me, the reason people are impatient because they want their own glory. They want things their way and in their time. But if it's for God's glory, we can trust him. I don't need to assert myself. That means push my agenda. I don't need to make demands for my position or privileges. Look at me. I've been working here this long. Don't you notice me? Life is through God and for Him. It also means there will be a complete absence of the spirit of retaliation which makes us long-suffering. Which means when people wrong you, 
This is about God's glory, not mine. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm patient. So first of all, the meek are patient. Secondly, the meek are thankful. If God tells me to wait because he says the promise will come, and when the promise does come, then I know that I can't take any credit for it because he's the one that accomplished the promise. And when he does it, he deserves the credit. It's a no-brainer. A meek person gives him the credit that's due him. We call this gratitude. Watch what Noah does the moment he comes out of the ark. Genesis 8.20. So they come off the ark. He steps foot. Probably take a deep breath. And then it says in verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Some people like to say that, you know, the account of Noah, it's a contradiction. It says they come two by two, then later it says seven. Some come by seven, but the clean animals were to be gathered by seven so they could be offered as a sacrifice. That word in there, burnt offerings, in Leviticus means a whole burnt offering. All of the animals to be burnt up as sacrifice of worship to God except the hide, but it's a whole or a thorough burnt offering means all of me, God, is praising you. All of me. All of me. He gave whole sacrifices of thanksgiving. It's a recognition that everything he has was given to him by God. He's, he's been living by faith. Have you ever had... Have you ever had memories when you all of a sudden realize everything I have has been given to me by God? That sometimes there's times in life when you just stop and you say, God, you're, you're incredible. I was, uh, I was praying through this, and I remember I had one time, but I'll have to step back to give you that time. My wife and I, for a year, we lived in Russia teaching the Bible in public schools. I can remember about three-quarter way through the year, it was really cold in Russia. I mean, really cold. I remember looking out my window and you could look over and the snow's falling and there's old men playing chess with these shapkas and giant coats on, smoking cigarettes. <sighs> Guys like to sit in their haunches, smoke cigarettes like a... It's a weird place in Russia. You know, it's cold. Like, what am I doing here? And then my wife is pregnant and we're broke because we took all our money to go to Russia. And I'm thinking, God, we're almost done with Russia. I've got no job. What do I do? And I used to pray. I used to pray Psalm 90, verse 17, every day. And Psalm 90 says, Establish the work of my hands, O Lord. Establish the work of my hands. Which is, God, you have to take care of me. You've got to prepare my future for me. Establish the work of my hands. Because I don't know what I'm going to do. We're broke. I always seem like I'm broke, but we're broke. Now, two and a half years later, it was a sunny summer day. My daughter was two and a half years old in the backyard, running around, giggling. My dog was barking. I was given a guitar, and I learned how to play it. I always wanted to play the guitar, and all of a sudden, it just, I could play it. Somebody dropped off a week before a brand new, or it's not brand new, but a pool table. I always wanted a pool table. 
So here I got a pool table, can play a guitar. My daughter's running around the backyard with a dog. I've always wanted a dog, and I had a job. I I could pay my bills. I can remember it was a beautiful sunny day, and I'm playing this song that goes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then it goes, He has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. Bless his holy name. It's funny, after first service, Laura was my next door neighbor, and she goes, I remember you singing in the backyard all the time with that guitar. That was really weird when she came up and said that. But that day, <laughs> like, what, she, what else she know that's going on back there? <laughs> but what I was thinking, God did everything for me. I was broke. I had no future. I, sh- I should not be doing this job. Honestly, I don't deserve this. You guys could do far better. And all I'm thinking is, God, you're so good. Do you ever thank God or do you deserve things? A meek person knows they don't deserve anything. And everything they have is because he's incredible. He's incredible. Take a breath right now. That oxygen, you didn't pay for that. He's so good. God wants our thanksgiving. And so he, thanksgiving of my whole self, God, you're good. But he doesn't want our religious duty. Look at this verse. This is Psalm 51. This is an amazing psalm, by the way. This is a psalm of David after he sinned, a wicked, vile sin. He slept with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, and had Uriah killed. And he asked in the beginning of the psalm, forgive me. Blot out my transgression. Cleanse me. And then he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And then he gets to this point where he realizes that God forgave him. God took away his sin. God blotted blotted out all his blemishes. And here he said, and you don't delight in sacrifice, God. You don't want my religion. You don't want this burnt offering that I'm just going to give out of duty. You know what you want? You want a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. That means a person who is meek and humble and broken and okay with it. Contrite means I'm tame. I'm tame. I'm just fine. Are you? Are you truly grateful? Do you come to church because grandma will get mad at you? Do you come to church because I just want to sing to God? I love him. He's so good. It's a big difference, by the way. A big difference. For 23 years of my life, I went to church because I felt like that's what I'm supposed to do. And then after that, after I got saved, I went to church because there's really no other place I'd want to be. It's a big difference. So the meek, they're patient. They wait. The meek are thankful. And because of that, they are also very pleasing to God. That's the, that's the, basically, that's the outcome of a meek person is they are pleasing to God. Look at verse 21 of Genesis 8. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. This is verse 20. 
you know, it took clean animals, made a burnt offering. So the smoke's going up, it's burning some of these animals. It's going up. And then verse 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, God was watching Noah, and God could smell the intent of his heart, his worship. The Lord said in his heart, I'll never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil. But I won't strike down any creature as I once did. So he's saying, even though man still is evil, I'm going to make a promise because the Noah pleased me so much. Never again. God was pleased. And so he made a covenant with Noah, which is basically starting in verse 8. Then God said to Noah, a covenant is agreement. It's like a promise, but it's deeper than that. It's a promise that he will fulfill. Then God said to Noah and to his sons, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring. That's verse 8 and 9. And then verse 10. And with every living creature that's with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many came out of the ark, it's for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that's with you. I've set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant. So he gave us the rainbow as a sign. So the meek are pleasing to God and then go to the next one and he gives a covenant. It's considered a royal grant. It means it's unconditional. It's from him. And he will bestow perpetual favor upon a loyal servant. God will do it. And so you can say it like this, because if God promises it, he will do it. He will do it. One of my favorite promises that's still in effect, this covenant that's still in effect, is the covenant that if you accept the Son, if you believe on the Son, according to John 5.24, you have passed from death to life. You will not perish. If you believe in the Son, who is the ark that we hide in, God's coming wrath, if you believe that he actually died and rose again, he gives you an unconditional royal promise, which is you will never perish. You'll never perish. It's incredible. That's why Philippians 1.7 says, He who begins a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He'll do it. And you know who he does it for? The meek. The meek shall inherit the earth. Are you meek? I, I was reading again in that book, and here's a, just a quick three checklists, and watch how this works. This is incredible. Meek people are finished with worrying about themselves and what other people say, because they're done with that, all that. If this is about God and Him, I don't worry about myself anymore. Meek people no longer need to protect their reputation or demand respect. There's nothing worth defending. I'm contrite. I'm broken. David was forgiven from a heinous sin. So were you. Stop defending yourself. Stop it. Meek people are amazed that God and man can think of Him as, 
as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. Like we should be shocked when people are, wow, thank you. It's nice of you. But here's the beautiful thing. If you truly are meek, a person like this already has inherited the earth. Because I don't need anything. I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's mine. And I'm pleased with just the way I am. You don't need things anymore. A heart like that's incredible. Very few people reach it. But if you are truly meek, truly humble, and you're here for God, the rest is gravy. This day is a gift. A final story. I went to, um, when I went to Moody at the seminary, again, like I told you, I was broke. I'm always broke. Like I said, I'm always broke. And uh, I, I really needed some money for room and board. I could pay, pay tuition, but I didn't have much money for room and board. And I was working at this church as an associate pastor. And this is a church in downtown Chicago. And this couple came up to me before the semester started. And they said, hey, um, we just got a new job in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we need to move this next week. And we haven't sold our house. And it's not in the best neighborhood. Would you mind living in it, make it lived in so nobody will rob it and kind of take care of it for a while? And uh, it's only about a mile and a half from Moody, so do you mind living in it? And, and they said, and uh, by the way, it's got about three months of food that you can have. It's all yours. I said, how, mu- how big is the house? Is it a small little apartment? No, it's about an $800,000 townhouse in Evanston, Illinois. You'd, it's really kind of nice. So I go there, kind of nice. This place is amazing. They had three months of food, and I got... There's my room and there's my board taken care of. I lived in there a year. I took about a semester off to work, pay off some debt. And in the meantime, they found this guy that worked downtown Chicago to take over living in this house. They still haven't sold the house. And they got this single salesman that worked in Chicago. And when I lived in there, I made sure when I left during the day, it didn't look like I lived in it. Then when I came in, I would just... Uh, sleep in this little side room. When this guy took over, he slept in the master bedroom, would have parties, throws clothes all over the place. The realtor would get ticked. He'd make stains all over the carpet. And so they called me a little early in December and they said, are you coming back next semester? Because we would really like you to live in a house again. This guy's trashing it. I said, sure. It's another whole free semester of room. I came back, and he did. He trashed this place. I had to clean it up. He'd left a few of his ties, some real nice ties. I kept a couple, still have them. Really nice. (laughs) But I didn't ask for this. I, I needed it. Like, I needed it in a bad way, but God knew I needed it. And God knew I was trustworthy. God knows who he can trust. This is his world If he can trust you, don't worry. You will inherit it. But can he trust you? Are you meek? That's the question.